Welcome to Composer Talk. I'm your host, Matthew Wong. As a film and TV composer, I love talking to others about their backgrounds, composition techniques, music tech, and more. We all watch films, TV, and digital media and know the important role that scoring plays in storytelling. I want to invite you to join me on this adventure to learn more about the artists who are behind the scenes creating the music. If you want to learn more about the people interviewed on this podcast, make sure to follow us on our socials. And if you enjoy Composer Talk, please take the time to rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred listening site is. Hey everyone, just wanted to take a quick second to shout out our friends at QDB.com. That's C-U-E-D-B.com. QDB is a cloud-based software that allows you to make your own customizable cue lists for spotting, composition, orchestration, mixing, and cue sheet delivery. If you'd like to try it out, use the code COMPOSERTALK for 15% off for one year. My next guest is an American-born composer of Taiwanese, Chinese, and Japanese descent. He is known for his work on four seasons of YouTube original show Escape the Night, two seasons of Will Wheaton's Tabletop, a song he co-wrote with Marvel legend Stan Lee, and he's also the creator of Star Wars Musical, a spoof of Star Wars as a Disney musical. And the composer is George Shaw. Hey guys, happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you on. So uh, how's everything been going in terms of, you know, life in a pandemic world in terms of the composing lifestyle? <laughs> well, for me, it's been fantastic because, you know, I... I'm a real go-getter, so I always feel like I need to be going out there and, um, you know, networking and and making things happen. But uh, I, you know, it's been nice not going to parties and dinners and all that and just like staying home and focusing on getting work done. And and so I've actually been very productive and doing multiple projects and it it feels crazy, but it's, it's been great to just do what I love. And have you been like, I don't know, I know you play a lot of instruments and I'm always curious, like, do you like practice all of them and keep it up? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, that's the hard part of of being a busy composer is is you don't have time to practice. Um, You know, I play the clarinet uh, ever since, you know, middle school and I'm not in the the best shape that I would like to be in. But, you know, it has allowed me to practice a little bit more from time to time. Um, And I'm also constantly recording uh, because, you know, I hate using clarinet samples. So it's like, I, I just don't even use them. I just use the live clarinet whenever I can. So, you know, I, I do manage to kind of keep it up just a little bit. Um, but, you know, I was also playing, you know, Chinese instruments. I bought an alto sax last year. And so I've been trying to trying to learn that as well and get better at it. So it's it's been it's been nice to make music every day. Yeah, for sure. It's pretty funny what you said there, though, about keeping it up, because I think I was my best at guitar when I was like 18 years old and like doing the Berkeley five week program. Oh yeah, for me, yeah, 18 years old, I was practicing clarinet at least two hours a day and then rehearsals on top of that and concerts and all that. Um, but now it's like maybe an hour a week if I'm lucky. Right. <laughs> you know? Well, so you went to USC's Thornton School of Music, so you weren't in the film scoring program, right? I was actually. So the way that happened was, uh, well, I was very gung-ho about uh, about studying composition at a very early age by, you know, 16, I was like, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, everyone told me, well, you got to go to USC. That's like the number one place to study film scoring and, and they have an excellent composition program. Um, and I was so excited to go. I, I actually went a year early, you know, I, <laughs> I actually got into the USC resident honors program. 
um, which is like an early entrance program. And so I, I actually got to skip my senior year of high school, which, wow, you know, it was a little bit of a bummer. I didn't get to go prom or any of that stuff. But, but you know, I got to do, you know, dive into the things that I was really excited about studying, which is music. And so, you know, when I first got in, I, I didn't get in as a composition major. They actually rejected me. Uh, which is, you know, I, I wasn't really ready to apply for that program, you know, a year earlier. So um, what I did was I entered in as a clarinet performance major and, uh, you know, got to take all the standard freshman music, uh, music theory classes and everything. And when it came time to reapply to transfer into the program for my second year, I got rejected again. <laughs> And so, um, so I was at kind of a crossroads at that point. I was like, well, do I continue doing this? I, mean, I knew I wanted to be a composer, but, you know, was staying at USC the right place to be? Um, but I, I actually took uh, composition lessons first semester of my second year uh, with one of the composition professors at USC, uh, Stephen Hartke. And I think, you know, having that one-on-one -on -one lesson time with him was so valuable you know he taught me a lot and and I think he, I you know I had the opportunity to show him that you know that I had the potential and so I think that really like with his recommendation I was able to get in the the next semester so the second semester of my second year and so then I was in the composition program which is a really intense program like we we had to learn you know how to write by hand we had to learn all the we had to like memorize the music notation textbook, um, all the rules, and and you know, and then we went through everything from counterpoint to orchestration and just all the foundations. Um, and then my senior year, which for me was actually my fifth year of USC, so it was like a five-year undergrad uh, because I you know transferred, and that final year I got to do the film scoring program properly, mm -hmm. and and that was you know amazing in itself. Uh, although you know, it was in a very kind of transitional time, you know, when I was an undergrad, Buddy Baker ran the program, and he's like this Disney composing legend. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he did like the arrangement for "It's a Small World" and tons of stuff for Disney, right? And you know, he was probably in his nineties or so, or maybe late eighties, and I would actually see him hobbling around the campus, and um, and you know, I, I was. I kind of knew who he was, but I was like intimidated to go up and just like start talking to him. But I, I did actually get to, you know, have a phone call with him once uh, when I was at that point where I was deciding whether or not I wanted to transfer to another college or continuing to try to get into the composition program, which fortunately I did. Um, but he, he passed away, you know, a couple of years before I entered the program. And so suddenly the USC scoring program uh, this is like 2003 when I started the program, went from old school, you know, pencil and paper kind of world to now, oh, we're going to buy some computers and like teach you guys how to use DAWs and, and all that stuff, which they hadn't taught. And, and so we were really fortunate to to kind of have that be, you know, part of our that transition period. Although it was like, um, you know, that things weren't quite, worked out. Um, so the, the classes that came after me benefited even more because they established the curriculum a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I was actually really fortunate to, to go through USC.
Right. And had you like used uh, computers for making music before that? You know, I grew up very old school, classical kind of training. You know, I, I took piano lessons. I took the clarinet. I played in bands and orchestras. Um, and as far as computers, I, you know, I got really good at finale. I was inputting all my scores uh, into the finale and, um, and, and using the, the really crappy MIDI playback. <laughs> um, and even in my early like student films, when I hadn't figured out how to use a DAW yet, I was, I was using finale and like literally hitting play on, on the uh, VCR and then just like hitting, trying to time it. So I hit spacebar on finale to see that right. things lined up. And I would even like make click tracks using my finale, uh, tempo. But, you know, the thing about that was I learned, I, I, I almost, you know, even when I first started doing these student films, I was composing, you know, basically pencil and paper and I would hire a small ensemble of, uh, student musicians and, uh, you know, I was free timing everything. I, I actually didn't know how to make a click track at first. And so it taught me how to be musical and, and sort of naturally feeling the tempo of a scene. And, you know, that really taught me a lot because I was kind of doing it the way they were doing it almost a hundred years ago. Um, and, and not relying on the technology. And once I did learn the technology, you know, I wasn't one of those people that would just place a bunch of markers and then hit calculate tempo and, and have it figure out the, the tempo of a scene for me. I, I naturally feel it and I conduct it. And then, and now I use like a, an app that where I can just tap in the tempo and it tell me, tells me what tempo I'm feeling. And so that's usually how I, you know, kind of approach scoring scenes. Well, it's so cool to hear that. Like, I mean, yeah, it seems like music got into your blood really, really young. Uh, so were your parents supportive of, of everything? Uh, you know, they, they were the kind of, you know, Chinese immigrant parents who, you know, wanted me to take piano lessons at a very young age. And I, you know, I was probably like six years old and I was just so intimidated by all those keys on the keyboard. And I was like, there's no way I can learn how to do this. Um, and so I actually um, refused to take piano lessons. And fortunately, they didn't kind of force me, which a, a lot of parents would. Um, but, you know, a, a few years later when I was around 10, my best friend was playing, uh, Fear Elise on, on the piano, you know, by Beethoven. And I just really wanted to be able to play that. And so I was lucky to, um, you know, sort of be inspired by that and, and pursue piano lessons on my own. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it, it it's always been something I've enjoyed doing and it was never like something I was forced to do. So, uh, fortunately for that, you know, they've, they've been supportive up until college when I wanted to major in music. Uh, and then they were like trying to push me towards engineering or math or something because I I actually had really good grades and I probably could have done something more academic but um, just my heart was in music, and unfortunately, they didn't say no. They were still supportive, but like reluctantly supportive. And it wasn't until a few years ago when they've, you know, sort of stopped like saying backhanded things, where it's like, uh, well, you know, you were so good at math when you were a kid. You know, it's never too late to go to grad school, <laughs> that kind of thing. For sure. Yeah, I think 
Well, I mean, I had pretty supportive parents too. Like I remember my dad like taking me to Guitar Center when I was a kid. But um, yeah, I think it's a funny thing that like, you know, having a parent, like my parents, or really my mom forced me to like play violin. But then uh, it was guitar that like I really, really vibed with. But then when it was like, I want to go to music school, it's like, well, you know, you should like consider all the, the options. It's funny that they like force you to play you know, a musical instrument, but like, if you try to go into a full-time career, it's a little like disconcerting, but right. Um, it's that thing where they, they're like, they, they push you towards it. Cause it, it'll get you into a good college and it'll look good on the resume, but right. Um, <laughs> but, but then they, they don't realize that you could fall in love with it and want to do it professionally. Right. Well, I think the thing is too, for my mom, I talked to her recently and she's like, or yeah, my my both my parents know like a lot of uh or have a lot of friends who are lawyers or doctors and like it would have been easier for me to be a doctor or a lawyer where they could introduce me to their friends but they have no connections and no no one in like the entertainment industry and it's kind of like some helplessness where they they want to be able to you know support the kids but oh absolutely and, and I yeah. think even you know the to go even further how often do you even see an Asian composer doing any film or TV projects, you know, mm. I grew up with loving John Williams and Jerry Goldsmith and James Horner and all these guys, but n- none of them were Asian. And so, you know, our, I think our, our parents being immigrants, like they just, they didn't know anyone that did that. So to them, it was like a mystery. Like, how do you even be successful? And so, you know, I think, you know, for you and me, you know, it's important that, uh, you know, that there's more representation because it helps inspire more people. And then that helps, you know, move things forward so that there's just more opportunities for people of color. For sure. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I was looking through just like, um, I couldn't find too many definitive numbers on it, but just like looking at photos of graduating classes of Berkeley film scoring students and like, yeah, just like it's not proportionate to like the amount of like working Asian composers in Hollywood. Um, not that well, they but, all, you know, yeah. even that then there's, um, like even in my film scoring class, there were mm. uh, three of us that were Asian, um, mm. maybe four, I forget. But, you know, it was like professionally you didn't see any Asians. And, and even now it's, I mean, when was the last time you saw in, like, at least an Asian American or Western born Asian composer do like a major Hollywood movie? Like I, I don't think I've ever seen that in my life. Um, you know, maybe there's people doing additional music or doing TV that are coming up now that are starting to, you know, get a foothold, but you know, like, like still like my parents don't really have anyone that I could show to them and say, look, this person's doing it. Well, um, I think there's a couple, like I think of Dan, the automator and I really love his scores, even though he's not like a super well-known name, but you know, he did book smart and I thought that was a really incredible score it was like hip-hop focused and then um tan dunn i mean <laughs> yeah. crouching tiger. Well, i mean he's like from china like what i meant like asian american right okay you know here in like hollywood so but yeah i mean there's there's definitely when you look at asia there's a lot of great composers you know i love particularly japanese composers like mm. uh joe hisaishi he's, he's one of my favorites right um so but yeah we we definitely need to you know highlight more Asian talent, uh, as, as they're coming up and, and give them opportunities. Cause I can tell you, it's a struggle. <laughs> it's been a long time that I've been struggling. 
Yeah, I mean, you've been in LA for quite a while too, and uh, I mean, it's amazing to see like you know the hard work paying off. Um, but on that, I mean, like yeah, so you've been a part of like, I, mean, I guess we kind of met through the Composers Diversity Collective. You've been in the Universal um, Composers Initiative program. Like, what are you seeing in terms of like these kinds of initiatives uh, that I don't know, like what what would be the the way that they can help, in your opinion? You know, I have to say that it's. First of all, better than nothing. <laughs> I, I actually remember sitting down with someone at BMI uh, years ago, maybe almost a decade ago or so, and and pointing out, hey, there's all these diversity initiatives for actors, writers, directors. Um, there aren't any for composers, and and even then, you you'd look around at at all the names on in the credits of a lot of projects, and they were almost all white men. And so, you know, I brought it up and there, there was just like, it was just like the, the industry wasn't ready for that. You know, they, they weren't ready to, to help people out. And so yeah, it's great to see now how things have changed, even though it's sort of minuscule in terms of what I think could and should happen. Um, but certainly it's, it's, it's making a difference. It's certainly opened doors for me, you know, being, and the Universal Composers Initiative has opened up my network. It's opened a lot of doors. Um, it hasn't necessarily landed me much of anything in terms of work yet, but the the relationships I'm building, um, and I'm constantly auditioning and like demoing for projects that are you know studio projects, studio films, uh, you know TV shows, and you know I, I keep getting rejected because I, I don't yet have the resume to compete with a lot of people who have just been doing it for longer. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have an agent yet. Um, and so that's another kind of roadblock that I have to get past. Um, but, but certainly like I'm finally auditioning for these things and, and, you know, just had a a recent thing that looks like they liked my reel and, and want to meet with me. So, so finally, I think it's making a difference, and particularly with this pandemic and all the social justice stuff happening, you know, you know, through the Composer Diversity Collective, we've started sort of reaching out to the studios and letting them know that we can be a resource for them if they're looking to hire more diverse composers. And, and now they're also realizing that they need to do that, that it's beneficial to them to, to tell more authentic stories because audiences want that. I mean, just look at the backlash of, you know, Mulan, for example, you know, that, that audiences want these authentic stories to be told by authentic storytellers. And, and that carries over to the music as well. And so it's great to see now, I mean, it's, it's still in the early stages, but as you know, through the diversity collective, we've, yeah, been trying to organize and, uh, really be a resource to the industry so that they can't say, oh, well, we couldn't find, we wanted to hire someone diverse, but we couldn't find them. Now you can, because we have a directory on our website. You can easily find people's samples of their work um, or, you know, they can reach out to us directly. So, so I think things are changing. Right. Yeah. It's interesting too. Cause like, I think I saw it was Hans posting on one of the forums or something about, um, you know, diversity with film composers and him saying something about like, you know, as a composer, you're not hired for your cultural background or your anthropological, you know, <laughs> understanding, but your your ability to create 
and I think I kind of get what he meant, but it just felt like like the thing is like yeah, if, if like musically, if you can, or not even musically, if you, just, you understand the story in a way that other people from outside of the culture uh, or understanding can, then you you just have that extra bit of connection with the creators of the story and can you know translate that into music possibly Absolutely. better. Absolutely, and there's there's just so many ways in which you know. Even in terms of story, just whether it's mm-hmm. understanding it or giving suggestions um, of how to make things more authentic, um, we are important to that. You know, mm-hmm. and, and in some ways, we're the first um, sort of person outside of the initial production to actually see a cut of something and and offer feedback. So, you know, I think we can be invaluable in terms of that. Um, I think I lost my train of thought, but <laughs> continue on. All good. Uh, yeah, so I think I'll just go on to the next segment for the podcast, a segment called uh, Tech Talk, where we can talk about, uh, where I'll, I'll list off a tech topic and you say as much or as little as you want about it. Okay, and just do it. Cool. So the first one I have here is DAW. Uh, so I use Digital Performer, which is what they taught me at USC, and I've never tried anything else. And when I did, it was frustrating frustratingly difficult just to deal with something different. So I've, I'm a, a, a DP guy all, all the way. Nice. Uh, next is woodwind microphones. Um, yeah, so I actually, yeah, record a lot of uh, live woodwinds. Um, in fact, let me play you something real quick. This sure. is a, an instrument called the Bawu. It's a Chinese wind instrument. So uh, yeah, that's you know I, I do a lot of recording. I, I love using real instruments instead of samples when I can. Um, and so for my mic that I use, and and it's literally the mic, the one mic that I use on everything. Um, and, and the reason I got it was it was recommended as sort of a all around mic. It's a uh, Shure KSM thirty two. It's about uh, I would say in the four hundred dollar range when I bought it new, but I bought a used one for like two hundred bucks. So. Pretty, pretty good investment for me. That's nice. Next one here on the list. Oh, orchestration tips. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the best way to learn orchestration is is studying scores and listening to recordings and, and really looking at masters of orchestration like um, Rimsky-Korsakov, Tchaikovsky. Um, I, I think the John Williams scores are just fantastic. Because it's all music that we know, but it's so deeply layered um, that you know it's just such a great way to learn orchestration is is looking at those scores and comparing it to the orchestra the, the you know the recordings or, or doing a mock up too. That that's like another good way to practice and learn. Um, you know, s- similarly to uh, one of the reasons I, I enjoy doing my lullabies for Younglings album that I just released. It's you know an album of Star Wars lullabies, um, but. What I did was I, I, for most cases, I started with the orchestral score just so I could see all the lines and all the textures and then to like translate that into my own arrangements was a really great way to kind of take it apart and and see how it worked. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny, I never did like a score study or like a a mock-up of existing piece because I mean, I didn't go to like a film scoring program. It just like never really occurred to me 
even though like going to a pop music program, I would like listen to stems for like Ariana Grande songs or whatever and kind of study that. But uh, during the pandemic, I did remake uh, one of the John Williams pieces from Star Wars. And yeah, it's crazy to just like sit there with the score and like see how much you can learn by. Oh, I know. And, and, yeah. and I also like to even compare the orchestral score with the piano score mm. and, and sometimes like read along because then you can see more what's going on harmonically and everything and the, the sort of counterpoint. Um, and, and in addition to that, um, for me, like the the best way that I learned orchestration was playing in an orchestra, which obviously not every, you know, composer <laughs> has the luxury of doing. But I, I played clarinet, so I, I got to play in youth orchestras growing up. And and yeah, you hear each individual instruments in rehearsal, like what 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 do they sound like and what can they do and how do things fit together? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another great way. So, you know, if if you can't play in an orchestra, at least, you know, go hear a live orchestra once once we get to do that again. Um, certainly just, especially if you can go to rehearsal, you know, just hearing things taken apart is just so invaluable. Yeah, for sure. Well, you killed it here with Tech Talk. Don't tell everyone about your, your recent, um, or yeah, you have some recent projects have come out and like what you've been up to. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this year has been sort of a year for me to catch up on things. I've been trying to, I've actually had a lot of side projects that have been on my plate for a long time. One project was a, an Indiana Jones feature-length fan film called Treasure of the Templars. And you know, it took me 13 years to finish scoring it. So <laughs> I finally finished it you know, earlier this year. And so it's great to, to get that done. Hoping to you know, release the film on YouTube probably in the next year or so, and as well as the soundtrack. Um, a lot of it, I actually got to record some live bits of orchestra here and there. Um, and so I'm really proud of that. Another very sort of John Williams-esque kind of right. thing. Well, uh, how does a project end up taking like 13 years score-wise? <laughs> like that's, that's amazing uh, you've been working on something like this for so long. <laughs> it was just shot for like no money. And they shot in like California and Ireland and maybe like, like the, the desert in California and stuff. Wow. Um uh, or they shot this uh, fan film all over the place in California, in Ireland, parts of Europe. Um, but then it needed a lot of visual effects mm-hmm. shots. And so um, pretty much two guys have been doing the visual effects for 13 years for a 90-minute movie, which is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, if, and, and on top of that, you know, like I I would only get... I only got like a reel, like a third of the movie to start. So I actually scored the entire first third of the movie in the first couple of years or so. Um, and then I would eventually got the second reel and then later on got the third reel. So it, it really, that's why it took a long time. And by the time I got the third reel, I was like, I was just, my career was starting to go places. And I was just always busy. So it's one of those things when, whenever I had free time, I would work on it. And I finally had the free time during the pandemic. And then another project that I've been working on for the like five years is an album of Star Wars lullabies. Um, and in case you didn't know, I was, I'm like a huge John Williams nerd. Um, and I love Star Wars and, and um, just those kind of movies that have really big, epic fantasy melodies. Um, so, uh, you know, a friend of mine posted a picture of her daughter and... Uh, and this is Jennifer Landa. She's a huge Star Wars nerd. She had like a Star Wars wedding. Um, oh. <laughs> and and she was uh, Princess Jasmine in my Star Wars musical. 
And so she posted a picture of her daughter wearing a shirt that said, I am a Jedi like my father before me. Mm. And I was just like, thought that was like the cutest thing. And so I, I did a little mock-up of uh, Princess Leia's theme for her and kind of turned it into a lullaby and sent it over to her. She loved it. And, and I thought, oh, maybe I could just do an album of this stuff because, A, I, I just like had a, a lot of fun doing this mock-up, you know, like I said, just getting to study the score and really take it apart. Um, so eventually I started working on it thinking, you know, be one of those side projects I do when I have free time, which is not very often. Um, so, you know, five years later, it's 2020 <laughs> and we know what happened. And I basically, well, I sort of did on purpose wait till episode nine came out. And so I was able to, I was like, oh, great. I'll, I'll be able to do all tracks from all 12 Star Wars movies with all of John Williams's music. And so I was able to, you know, to, to, to do that since they finally released the soundtrack for the final movie. And, um, you know, finally had the time to do the finishing touches, finalize the arrangements, do some remote recording. I had some amazing musicians Eru Matsumoto on cello, uh, Julie Kim Walker on flute, and we used to actually play in youth orchestra together back in high school. And um, Albert Chang, who is a like a YouTube violinist, um, and then I recorded myself playing some clarinet and piano and, and all that stuff. Uh, did a lot of programming and uh, released an album. And you know, I figured, what a great market to to try and you know reach out to all those parents who need relaxing music for their kids to listen to and and there's other you know star wars lullaby albums out there but they're not that great i mean like not great production values usually like just some crappy you know chelester bell or piano tinkly sounds and some cheap synths and i wanted something that i could listen to and not be annoyed by it <laughs> and so you know, I don't have kids yet, but one day when I'm playing lullabies for my kids, this is what I want. And I want to, you know, indoctrinate them into the dark side, learning the ways of the Jedi and the Sith and the Force. <laughs> and uh, hopefully that will be a great way to introduce kids to the incredible music of Star Wars and John Williams. For sure. Well, one last question then would be, um, so like what type of projects do you want to be working on in the future? Seeing as you talked a lot about pitching earlier, like what would be the dream kinds of projects? Would it be like animation fantasy? Would it be Star Wars epic, you know, sci-fi things? All um, of those. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, I love stories that are larger than life that, um, you know, take characters on big adventures and are, full of heart and, you know, just joy and love and adventure and all that. Um, so yeah, to me, anything that's animated, sci-fi, fantasy, that it, particularly those worlds where the music, you know, can really carry the story and the emotions, whether it's, you know, full orchestral or something that combines orchestra with world instruments or even more contemporary and synth electronic kind of stuff like i just love doing all that and and creating larger than life music so that's that's what i would love to do i'm actually recording an album right now of um you know chinese fantasy music you know music inspired by chinese mythology and it's so much fun you know it's for a, a music library called audio network 
Um, and we just recorded an orchestra in Vienna remotely uh, last month. And then I've been overdubbing all these Chinese soloists. And um, just it's just so cool to, to kind of play around with that style of music. And, and yeah, I certainly hope I get to do those kind of dream projects in the future. Amazing. Well, George, it was a pleasure having you on. Absolutely. And hopefully we can talk again soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Composer Talk. If you like what we're doing, feel free to follow us on Instagram or Facebook. The show is mixed and sounds great thanks to the incredible Eric Bard, who's also a talented composer, producer, and mixer. Until next time, this has been Matthew Wong.